1 Peter, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 to begin with. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then jumping to chapter 4. From verse 7. Sorry. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining, just as each one has received a gift. Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's word. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. How are we doing? Great. There we go. It's raining and we're great. That's good. Um, I think we're missing a couple of people today, uh, perhaps joining us again for tonight or watching us online. This is an important talk as we finish our vision series and so I look forward to being able to share in some of the things that uh, we're talking about today over the coming weeks, months and even year. Uh, so welcome to our final week in Vision Month and our vision is grand. Our vision is majestic. Our vision is all encompassing. It is nothing short of seeing all things done in all of life, all of tack, all of this city, all of this world to the glory of God. (laughs) That's a pretty big vision. And it's not actually just ours, is it? It's been given to us. It's been revealed to us in the glory of God himself who made all things and revealed it especially in Jesus Christ who saved us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've broken down our vision here at TAC, formed in the context of where we are as a church and who we are as a people, and it looks like this, our longing to be an ever-growing, diverse church family. And so, for the last few weeks, we've been looking particularly at how we glorify God as an ever-growing church, and we looked at that spiritually, as in growing in maturity in Christ, we looked at growing in a sense of kingdom growth, in longing to see people come to know Jesus... Last week we looked at diversity, how we uh, help people feel uh, a sense of home uh, and belonging here, that's our membership portfolio, and uh, today we're looking at being a church family, we're looking at the ministry portfolio particularly. And so when I say, welcome to the family, uh, what, uh, what comes to mind? We might do an interactive part, we'll do it early in the service today. Uh, what comes to mind when I say, welcome to the family? Nothing, you've got no feelings, that's cool. <laughs> Families can be messy. Welcome to the mess. Oh, what, that works. That flies. Yep. Excellent. What else? When you, uh, 
Ah, oh, right, yes. So there's an embrace of kind of like you, you are now part of us. Uh, for, for those, yep, that's, that's a good example. Yep. Safety. safety, yep. Yeah, so when, when we're part of the family, we're in it together uh, and there's a safety in that. And, and actually that, that adds to kind of the, the, the travesty of, of, when, of when trust is compromised or when something bad happens and that, and that sense of safety is broken. Uh, one more, one more. Love and support. These are all good things, uh, and I think we'll be exploring some of those this morning. I read an article recently that said, if you hear this, welcome to the family, on your first day and a new workplace, run. (laughs) Companies that claim to be a family have blurred boundaries, confused expectations, and sometimes toxic loyalty. Another article warned that you might have just joined a cult. Um, In fact, you might have joined the classic family business, the Mafia. Anyway, uh, we are neither a business nor the Mafia, I don't think. Uh, And so what do we mean when we say we long to be a church family? How do we glorify God in the way that we gather together as a family? And so I'm going to break this down to three points, because that's what what we do. Uh, And the first one is this. We are called into God's family. And I look at those as the opening two verses from what Lisa read out to us. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now have received mercy. What a wonderful passage that describes who we are as a, as a people. Uh, we often have heard that phrase kind of like, you know, I found my people. And, 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 you know, for much of life, we're searching and exploring a sense of belonging to find our people, whatever that might look like. But this is bigger than that. This is not you just finding your people. This is you finding your God and He has made you a people. Because look at the, some of the description here. This is not just a warm hug. Uh, firstly, we're a r- royal priesthood. Now, Peter, uh, being, uh, he, you know, his first primary ministry was to the Jews in Jerusalem, and you see just how laboured his kind of descriptions from the Old Testament are brought into now as he writes to a, to a Gentile context of, of Christians scattered throughout the diaspora uh, in the early church. He, he brings, first of all, this Old Testament idea of being a priesthood. Now, to be a priest in the Old Testament, pretty big deal, a lot of dressing up, a lot of rituals, uh, and you have to be really, really special. And so, no one really assumed that they could just be a priest. And here, Peter is slapping it around everywhere. You are a royal priesthood. Uh, Now, being a priest in the Old Testament, you particularly had to be part of the Levite tribe. So, you had to sort of be born into the right race, the the right family line. And, And, you know, you can't really change that, can you? When you're born, you're born. Uh, and, and here again, we have Peter saying, you are a chosen race. Now, now what, what does it mean to choose your race? Uh, now, that, that's not, that gets complicated in this modern times. Uh, you know, there's sometimes my kids have said, I don't want to be part of this family anymore, right? Some of us have heard that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, just, they're inherited the bloodline, they're in the family. Uh, Peter here is saying, God has chosen you, you are a chosen race. This is something bigger than just family bloodline. He also describes us as a holy nation. That is that we are special, separated, made righteous, set apart for God's service. This family that we have entered into is so much bigger than kind of a sense of of some of the things we've even talked about this morning. 
This is something extraordinary and it is gifted to us. How are we sort of brought into these things? How how are we suddenly a a family, a a sort of a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and even a people that God delights in? How does that happen? Well, look, once you were not a people, once we were none of these things, and now you are. How? Well, you had not received mercy and now you have received mercy. How, how do you move from being not a people, sort of searching for your people, finding a sense of belonging, stumbling through it all, to all of a sudden being given all of these things, being included into God's family? What's well, simply a result of God's mercy. It's nothing to do with you. It's a result of God's mercy. And one of the richest words that is used to describe this, it's not in this text, but in other parts of the Bible, is the word adopted. And I think it captures richly this idea of being brought into God's family, God's people. To get heavy a little bit here, I want to share a story uh, that was shared by a friend of mine at Synod, and is actually printed, uh, I'm going to read from the print uh, in the New Southern Cross. He says this, brace yourself a little bit here, friends. I will never forget the night I became a foster carer. It was just after midnight on Maundy Thursday in 2018, when the social worker arrived with an 18-month-old boy who was scarred, sick, and suffering from 12 fractures through his body, as well as numerous cigarette burns on his forehead. As I changed my first ever dirty nappy that night, I said, half-jokingly, Lord, I bet the disciples' feet weren't quite as bad as this. From there, we were off to the races as temporary carers of this child, tasked with all the normal things parents do, feeding, clothing, playing, teaching, dropping off and picking up, but with the added difficulty of special medical appointments, parental visits, social worker, home inspections, learning to care for a child from a different cultural background, the uncertainty of never knowing how long this arrangement would be in place, It all got more complex three months later when we found out our foster son had two older half-sisters aged seven and eight who needed placement. We couldn't refuse the opportunity to give the girls a good home and to reunite the siblings, so a few days later, there were three children in the home. In our case, this temporary arrangement went on for nearly two years before having exhausted every avenue for reunification of placement with kin, the agency asked us if we'd be willing to consider adopting all three children. Of course, we said yes. This is a wonderful example of taking very vulnerable, very hurt children and bringing them into safety, bringing them into belonging, bringing them into love. There's a reason why the Bible uses the word adopted to describe the mercy that we have received for once we were not a people, once we were dead in our sins... And now we have been made a people. We have been brought into the family of God because God has adopted us in Jesus Christ. The kingdom belongs to such as these, Jesus says, as he looks at the children that even the disciples wanted to push away. But we must see ourselves as children, as broken, as needing in all dependency this great Father who will care for us, who will build us up, and who has made us a people, all forbid us from being a stock photo of a church family.
We have been called a people of God and a royal priesthood. We are a people with purpose, serving God in worship and serving a world in need, both tasting that the Lord is good and holding out that feast to beggars. See, when Peter describes us as a people, he doesn't just say, welcome to the family. He reminds us that being a royal priesthood, we are there to serve God. We are there to serve others. We are there to represent God to others. We have been given a purpose, which is one of the reasons why last year during Vision Month, we laboured the phrase, being a family on mission. We're not just a warm hug. We are a warm hug, if I could put it like that. But we're also given a purpose. You have not just found your people, you have found your God and He has made you and all of us a people. What does this look like? Well, Peter goes on exploring living gently and graciously in a broken, dark and sinful world. That's a couple of chapters we're going to skip over, some great stuff, we might come back to it in years to come because 1 Peter is a cracking letter. But there's one part of being a family that I want to focus on in this last week of our Vision Month, and we're going to pick that up in chapter 4, where firstly, Paul, Peter describes what it means to uh, share life in God's family. And so, let's just read these two verses together from chapter 4. This is, what does it look like to be the family of God? The end of all things is near, Peter says, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, Since love covers a multitude of sins, be hospitable to one another without complaining. These are quite rich words. Now, we've been given the end picture. Last week, uh, Isaac preached on Revelation, where we're given the picture of all nations and tribes and languages gathered around the throne of Jesus and worshipping Him in one united voice. It's a beautiful picture of how Jesus unites us in our diversity. And in light of that end being guaranteed because Jesus has completed salvation for us on the cross, we have been given mercy and that is now our future, not if you are good enough, but rather if you receive Christ. In light of that future, Peter says, the end of all things is near, therefore be alert and sober-minded for prayer. That is, as the end draws near, we're told, particularly in Revelation, that things are going to get a bit crazy. Sometimes we feel that things are a bit crazy, right? Uh, And so, don't let that anxiety of all that is happening invade your heart, but instead, what Paul says in Philippians, do not be anxious, but by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, pray, join yourself with your Heavenly Father, join your circumstances, hopes and expectations with the promises and character of God in the intimacy of prayer, because God is our Father and He loves and delights to hear from us. So, this is Peter's first instruction, in light of the end, and even though things are going to be crazy, pray, be sober-minded, do not be naive about the things that are happening in this world, but come to the One who our faith is grounded in, who our future is grounded in, and pray. And then above all, maintain constant love for one another. And that all sounds very nice, doesn't it? Yeah, who doesn't want a family like that? Uh, Jesus Himself says, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's not only are we reminding ourselves of the love of our Father, but the whole world might see God's love in the way that we love each other. 
And that's a beautiful thing, but let's not get naive about this. Peter is not naive about this. This is not just some hippie commune that we've been invited into, because he says, love one another, since love covers a multitude of sins. Now, Peter is not saying here, turn a blind eye to sin out of love. That's hard to square with a lot of Scripture, particularly Jesus' care for justice and exposing darkness with light. But rather, I think Peter is just being a realist here. After all, given that there is nothing that unites us other than the blood of Jesus, that is that we are saved sinners. And if these messy, as we've heard, saved sinners come together in a gathering, how might you expect that to go? Now, if we kind of live out the stock photo version of being a church family, you know, we're all happy, shiny, squeaky, got, you know, smiles, and we, you know, it's, it's lovely. I hate the word lovely. But underneath that, in real life, it gets messy pretty quickly, doesn't it? And, and so Peter says, uh, maintain, there's an imperative here, maintain constant love. He knows that it will be hard. The love just doesn't happen. You have to choose to love. And particularly, love in the face of all kinds of sin and drama. Love your enemy. For Christ loved us even while we were enemies. We are the most equipped, most resourced of all peoples of the earth to practice forbearance, forgiveness, reconciliation. Is that easy? Heck no. But love smooths over the bumpy ride of being a family of saved sinners in Christ. It's been said that peace is not the absence of conflict. It is the ability to handle conflict by peaceful means. Thank you, Ronald Reagan. I think he's onto something there. Let's not assume that we're just kind of this stock photo version and try and maintain that superficiality, but in the, in the existence of conflict, and because sin is still rampant in our lives, even though it doesn't have ultimate power over us because we're saved, let us practice, let us maintain, let us hold out love for one another. Now, I spoke a bit about this uh, a number of weeks ago when I described church as being a people privileged to persevere together. You might remember that, that was pre-holidays. I gave the example of being a little nervous about driving to Adelaide with my kids in the back and how we would have ample opportunity to demonstrate such love that covers a multitude of... Ugh. Well, we, not only did we survive, but we thrived. Praise God, there's hope for us all. Um, now, as Peter describes the love we are to show to one another, he gives special mention of all things... To what? Hospitality. <laughs> Be great entertainers. <laughs> no, it's not entertaining at all. Uh, I think it was Isaac that reminded us a number of weeks back that the Greek behind hospitality is actually love of stranger. That's fascinating, isn't it? Because when we think hospitality, we think kind of like having friends around the barbecue. But what Peter has in mind, what Jesus has in mind, is dining with sinners eating with people who you don't know, uh, loving the stranger. And I think that is altogether a beautiful picture of the gospel because so much of our conflict comes from misunderstandings, not knowing each other. And Peter is saying, as you express a love that covers over a multitude of sins and conflict, be hospitable to one another and when you start thinking about what that practically means, oh my goodness, I do not want to have that person around in my house. 
Peter says, do it without complaining. <laughs> do it without complaining. Now, some of you in this church are really helping us cultivate this. Some of you have wonderful gifts, that idea I'll come back to in a moment, of hospitality. But do not assume for a moment that Peter is just talking to those people who know their way around the kitchen. That is not at all what he's talking about. He is talking about opening your homes, sharing lives with others. And when, when we kind of cast our minds to, to experiences we've had like this, you know, we think of kind of the time we slow down together to hear each other's stories, to hear of their experiences. And in that there is laughter and in that there is depth where you go, I had no idea that was your experience. There is a joining together of lives that is a picture of the gospel and how God has made us a people. Not because God entertains us, far from it, but He was hospitable. He welcomed us in as strangers, even enemies. What a privilege we are commanded to enjoy here. Let me say that again. What a privilege we are commanded to enjoy here. Now, there are some challenges in this, of course, right? Um, as our church grows, uh, we get to that tipping point, and I've been in a couple of churches that have been through this, where all of a sudden you look around and you're like, I don't know that person. You know, so when, when church is kind of like a family in the kind of classic sense, you know, it's a small church, you all know each other, and it's, and it's, it's mostly really beautiful. It can get a little bit clicky, but, you know, mostly it's beautiful. But as the church grows, you get to the point where you look around and you're like, I don't know if that person's new or kind of has been here for a while, but since I don't know, I'm not going to say anything and embarrass myself, right? <laughs> Does that sound real? Um, well, as we think about this as our, at our church, that's one of the reasons, well, I haven't got mine on, that we wear name tags, just to try and kind of overcome that awkwardness so that we might, in, in a small way, express hospitality to each other by connecting as strangers, even strangers in this big family. Uh, and, and one of the things that we need to keep working through is, is how we express our hospitality. The morning teas that we've just started up again is, is a small expression of trying to gather around food, sharing lives together. It's the same reason we're doing the carols feast again, or even tonight in gathering around food, and not just kind of sausages on the barbecue, I and mean, there will be that, because kids love that, and sometimes we do too, but like food that makes you go, oh, I feel like home, Yeah? And that's beautiful when we have people saying that from all different parts of this world. And as we practice this in our homes, we look at our calendar and we go, oh, I haven't got time for that. And so we, we have to work hard at, at overlapping our messy and busy lives. And as we, as we do hang out with friends and as we kind of acknowledge that our relational connections are feeling quite full, how might even those be porous so that others can come in? And again, I can think of a number of people in this church who practice this wonderfully, who are constantly inviting others into the mix and then encouraging them to do likewise. These are beautiful expressions of what it means for us to practice love as a church family, to share life in God's family. So, so far, Peter has shown us that we are a family with a purpose to serve and represent God to each other and the world. We're a family on mission, that was point one. Secondly, we express this in the way that we share life together. And, second, and finally, we express this in, a way, in the way that we use our gifts to serve. So, serving others as God's family. And let's look at those next two verses. Just as each one of you has received a gift, 
Use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides, so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Wow. These... Again, there's a, there's a lot here. Uh, how do you think of your gifts? Do you even know what your gift is? I mean, firstly, this says we're all gifted. I mean, that sounds a little bit like an inclusive school parent night, but we really are, as is promised by God, gifted by Him for the purpose of serving others. This is a promise. But when you start kind of drilling into that promise and you say, what is my gift? There's a lot of pressure behind that. Uh, and it's also liable to what I call the brown cardigan syndrome. Let me explain. Uh, when I was working as a consultant engineer, I would engage public servants in the Defence Force. Too many times I was told by people in brown cardigans, sorry for the caricature, but that's how it was, that's not my job. It was quite frustrating. Uh, I didn't even get a lot of help in that, it was just like, computer says no. Uh, my kids sometimes wear brown cardigans, metaphorically, when they say, I don't have the gift of cleaning up my room. They don't say it like that, but they do. First of all, those who believe in Jesus Christ have the gift of gifts, the Holy Spirit, who transforms us in Christ's likeness, who came to serve, not to be served. So as we are gifted the Holy Spirit, that is, God invests His deity in us to transform us from the inside out, that we might be more like Jesus, who came to serve, not to be served. And so that means that we are made more and more like Christ as we serve others and as the gift of the Holy Spirit works in us. Now, my understanding of gifts in the way that Peter is using this is that God supernaturally empowers us as people who ordinarily have abilities and passions to serve. So each of us will have a sense of kind of the things we enjoy doing, the things we are passionate about, the things we are capable in doing. I believe that God uses us by the Holy Spirit to transform all of our whole life, but these gifts, so that they are used for a bigger, more glorious purpose. Now, sometimes we receive these gifts and it is quite supernatural. Where we were not able to do something, suddenly we are able to. But by and large, I want us to see our whole lives in the way that we are particularly made to be able to serve in particular ways. And you'll see this when uh, Jesus says, uh, uh, sorry, when Peter says, uh, the, varied, the way that, uh, sorry, the, the good stewards of the varied grace of God. That is, we've all received the grace of God, but there's a particularity to the way that He has made us and shaped us and placed us to serve. So keep exploring yourself in service that you might have a better understanding of your gifts, but above all, simply serve. Like, don't get locked, so locked into finding your gift that you won't do anything until you've found it. Uh, and so I'm hoping that this actually is a joyful exercise as we better understand ourselves, as we better understand Jesus. And just look how supernaturally, wor supernaturally this works, right? If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words. Wow. Maybe after morning tea today, no one's going to say anything, right? Be too scared to, uh, you know, not speak God's words. And if anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God might be glorified. Now, when we sacrificially serve, that is that we serve at cost to ourselves, 
I'm not talking about running yourself into the ground and burning out. I'm talking about relying as a, as a, as a child dependent on God for, for, for following His leading, for listening to the Holy Spirit, to drawing upon the strength He gives us to be able to serve at cost to ourselves. And when we do that, may people look at us and say, to God be the glory, because I see the way Jesus is at work in that person. Now, when I think about this extraordinary thing, that God would work through us ordinary people, what a privilege it is. And may God be glorified. Now, this leads me to say a few things about how I see this working in the family at TAC. Firstly, oh, we'll go this way here. I love the culture of serving in this place. Now, I've put up a little sort of um, a little diagram that I made up that I thought might be helpful. You let me know if it is. Um, at, the, at the beginning, at the centre of that circle is, is simply being. That, that is, at the centre of our identity is being a child of God. Now, we live in a world that's flipped this around. Uh, this world says, I do, therefore I am. And it's measured by performance and success. But, but we say, uh, we are saved, I'm a child of God, therefore I am. So we must come back to the simplicity of who we are in Christ and out of the overflow of that, having been gifted by God Himself, may we pay it forward. May we hold out the food that we've tasted to the beggars around us, metaphorically and literally. Uh, may, may we serve others out of who we are in Christ. And now in church, we get this round the wrong way all the time. And I have to say that our heritage as evangelicals is rooted, of course, in, in kind of the authority of the Scripture, but it's also rooted in an activism, which is great, right? Like, you know, there's a passion to, to serve, to evangelize. Let's not stop doing these things. But when that's becomes such an important sort of marker of who we are, it's very easy for our ministry to become our faith. And no more liable to this is me and ministry, people who vocationally serve when our faith becomes our ministry. And so do ask me questions, ask this of each other, that we come back to the centre of this, now, I know of plenty of examples uh, in churches around me and, and even in my own life in different seasons where this has gone wrong. I can think of one uh, church who had a thriving youth ministry. It was massive and it had a, a sort of well-known to many just how wonderful this youth ministry was. Uh, and it was so big that it needed a whole bunch of resourcing. And so what would happen is that youth would sort of finish up youth and then just roll into being youth ministry. And, and you know, they would just keep the vibes and the good times and, and, and the greatness of this ministry going. The problem was, at the end of serving in youth ministry, they didn't just step back from that, they would often, more than half of them, step back from church altogether. Why? Because their identity was in doing. We have to be careful, even in the, especially perhaps in the formation of young people, the centre of who we are is not doing, but being. Now, I see this wonderfully expressed in all kinds of ways in this church well beyond kind of rosters and roles and all that kind of stuff. Just this week, I heard of an example where someone who's not doing it that well, um, uh, a bunch of people headed around to do some house care stuff or, or drop off care packages or, or kind of hold an umbrella for people coming in from the rain. You don't roster that stuff on, right? There are all kinds of examples of people serving as the culture of who we are as a church and it's beautiful. But it does get a little bit complicated 
as we grow, right? And so again, in a small church, and I think Tom gave us an example in, in when he shared in the video of his, his, his experience, in a small church where you just, everyone just had to pitch in to make it work. And that's kind of, there's a beauty to kind of like, uh, to, to sort of living life like that. Uh, it can be quite tiring at times, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, you're all in it together, and there's a rich sense of family as you go about that. Uh, what's important to a small church is everything functioning relationally. You don't need to structure it so much because you're like, oh, I know that person does it like that, and, you know. Uh, and, you know, ministry staff are, are generalists, and there's just, there's, there's, there's kind of one big circle you could draw around how all things happen. Now, on the other side is a large church, bigger than ours, perhaps. Uh, and that church necessarily has programs and structures it has specialised ministries, and, and you can't just sort of draw one circle around it all, there's all these bits that are connected together. And when you look at what large churches can do, it's easy to go, well, they're not relational, it doesn't feel like family, but yet they can do amazing things. Even our Tuny Kids program, uh, Tuny Kids Week during the middle of the year, would be an example of kind of being able to do something that a small church couldn't do, right? Our reach and reputation it grows uh, and our potential grows as we grow too. So we've got to hold this, this in tension. Now, as I think about TAC, we're probably somewhere in the middle. And I love that actually we're, we're still kind of holding on to uh, some of the small church stuff uh, in the relational aspects. Let us not leave behind what it means to be a church family. But being in the middle is quite stretching. We do have programs and structures. And we also want to kind of know everything and everyone. And sometimes people don't hear about something that happened and feel kind of a bit left out. I just want us to sit in the tension of that as we grow, knowing that at the centre of our church, who we are is the people of God being brought into God's family by God's grace. Now, as we think about sort of the doing aspect, not just being culture, but actually programs in the life of this church, it is worth putting up here just how we do break our church down. I realised halfway through Vision Month that we haven't actually sort of reminded perhaps people who are new to church here how sort of our staff team works. We keep talking about M's, which is the way that we break up different aspects of our church life. We don't have ministers over congregations per se, but we have people overseeing different aspects of our church life. Uh, and so as of tomorrow, Nat starts overseeing magnification and maturity. Uh, Rich is working part-time in uh, overseeing the music ministry, doing a great job. Um, I'm overseeing mission as well as being the lead pastor. We've got Cole who oversees care, which is actually part of membership. Uh, you know, how do, we, how do we care for each other as we belong together? He also oversees 3PM. I've highlighted the orange ones as, uh, as kind of like specialty uh, aspects to, to church rather than just the M's. Isaac's overseeing membership, uh, so welcoming all the way to kind of events and the way that we, uh, the way we belong to another. Youth ministry, uh, we've got Rachel overseeing kids and uh, Sally and Susan overseeing admin and comms. We've actually rejigged Susan's role slightly uh, to be in ministry support, uh, which is really kind of resourcing some of the things we're talking about today. Now, it's deliberately upside down because we are servants. Uh, we're not CEOs, we're not managers. We are pastors here to serve you, uh, to serve God's people here at TAC, of which there is 475 of you that call this place home. Now, we don't see that when we gather in one congregation here. It's helpful for us to see that. And when we sort of map that out to how many people are involved in different aspects, there are lots of moving parts to TAC. And I've just I've put some of the numbers. We actually do as carefully as we can as part of, you know, caring for you and stewarding the resources and being wise with how TAC operates. We do carefully uh, kind of uh, uh, sort of understand who is doing what. 
so that we might appreciate who is overloaded or kind of or where opportunities might lie, how we might gather people around them. And you can see that's quite a lot of numbers. We have 170 people involved in ministry, like in, in roles, in, in sort of programs. Now, of course, that doesn't encapsulate the culture and the richness of people serving each other in informal and loving ways. And yet, this is a very important aspect to our church life. If we didn't have this, we actually wouldn't be able to run a kids' program this morning. Uh, we wouldn't be able to do some of the ministries we are able to do. Sometimes I do think, I mean, I just wish we were like a house church and we just sort of winged it all the time. But I think that would be to our detriment uh, and to a lack of opportunity, perhaps, um, in the way that we are able to reach many. Now, this is a really big thing. Uh, this is actually going to be this area of our, our sort of our M's, the ministry portfolio, I think is, is sufficiently import, important that it deserves our focus for the next 12 months. Uh, last year, we worked hard at uh, relaunching Mission, and we are going to continue uh, lighting the fire in that space that we might not, have, not lose our zeal for seeing people saved in this church. Uh, but this also will have a priority. Uh, or even kind of a particular priority over the next 12 months because we want to grow in our capacity to serve our growing church and our community in such a way that people are supported to serve and do so joyfully. Now, I've highlighted a couple of these circles red, which I'll come back to in a second. As part of carefully kind of um, overseeing kind of how people uh, minister in this place, here is one of the reports that we look at uh, that shows, and I've, I've blurred out the names, just how many roles some people are involved in at this church and how often they are serving. Uh, there are These people, as best as we can tell as we get alongside them, are serving joyfully, but at times we're like, this is surely too much. Some people are on almost every single week in some kind of particular role, uh, as well as actually just living out the Christian life in, in the way that they're serving, and, uh, and beautifully so. Uh, let me give you an example, and I get this, I'll extend something that I shared with you a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, 22nd of October, there were 40 kids in the K-5 program at 8.45, uh, 29 at 10.45. Our safe ministry ratios of leaders to kids will not allow us to grow much more. And even in that scenario, Rach had to scramble to add people to the team so that it could be a safe ministry place. Now, what does that mean? If we don't grow our capacity to serve in program roles like Tuni Kids, we will simply have to close the door when we're full, when we've reached those numbers where we're not able, actually able to have, uh, you know, t t the safe kids to, to lead a ratio, and those kids will be bounced back into the church service. And that'll have flow-on effects. It will mean that if people kind of get out of bed a bit late, they're like, well, the door's probably closed, they won't bother coming. And that will cause a stall because we're seeing our greatest growth amongst kids uh, in this church. Now, I'm presenting that to you so that we might work this out as a church family. Uh, it's not me standing at the front saying, uh, we've got a push program. You know, if we choose as a family uh, not to resolve this, we'll have to work out other ways to do it. Uh, but in the end, it will have implications, and I want to be transparent about that. We're seeing similar things in the, in the youth garage. Uh, there's only so many youth we can squeeze into the old garage. And if you, if you walk by that window, you'll probably see just how many kids are pushed into a circle around... Uh, you know, our spaces and our leadership are significant constrictors to further growth. Music ministry, uh, people who serve particularly in this congregation and the next, they get up early, they're here at 7.30, they sing or play at this service and then the next service, that's a long morning. How are we going to continue to resource that sustainably and joyfully? Our welcome ministry is also stretched. I could go on. 
In fact, one of the challenges for us is that people who are involved in formal ministry roles at TAC look something like this. And as is probably pretty normal, I think, in sort of multi-congregational churches, the 6pm or the night church, full of kind of those young, capable people, are pretty maxed out. And a lot of the people high on this list here are from that night service, taking on multiple roles, serving in multiple places. I can give you several examples of people who uh, serve in kids' ministry and then come early to the night service so they can be involved in music ministry. That is a lot. We ought to kind of think carefully about how we might distribute the load together so that we might, as a family, not only care for one another but serve one another joyfully. And so I want to put something before you today. I would like everyone who calls TAC home to consider serving in one Sunday role and one event or extra thing through the year. So that could be something simple like, uh, you know, welcoming or or reading the Bible. Uh, Both of those are not things that demand a lot of you each week. And then maybe helping out in uh, like the carols event or or Tuni Kids Week during in the middle of the year. Uh, There's a whole range of different ways we could do that. And again, I want to do this kind of in a way that kind of combines your understanding of yourself in your gifts and your passions and your capabilities with the opportunities that are before us. Now, there are all kinds of reasons why some people are not going to be able to serve and we're not going to push. This has to come from grace, from who you are and done so joyfully. There's a couple of great growth group leaders and Tuni Kids leaders who are stepping back next year because they're having a baby. That's a great reason to step back and it'll be our privilege to serve them in that season. But I put all these things up so that we might think carefully about how we continue to grow, how we love one another, and how we serve sacrificially and joyfully to the glory of God. Now, as you think about what this might look like for you, all through the vision booklet, there's all these kinds of little pictures of kind of just offering opportunities up. Not not to kind of push, but to sort of inspire you. Because one of the things that we have to keep pushing against as we grow is the consumer mindset that says, you just come to church. You don't come to church, you be the church. Uh, And we want you to see the rich diversity of ways that things happen in this place, to not just assume them. Uh, And so look through that booklet and be inspired and think about and pray about how you might get involved. You could also go to the website, uh, you know, the the Vision website, and as you scroll down to the bits and using your gifts to serve, there's a link there that will list all of those opportunities that are presented in the Vision booklet in one place. In the end, between now and uh, February next year, or early February... We're going to host a kind of a launch week, which will be two Sundays, including some training in between, and we're going to launch a whole bunch of ministries for the year. So in between now and then, we actually, as a staff team, want to touch base with as many of you as we can to firstly understand and and appreciate, better appreciate, are you currently joyfully serving? And if not, how can we kind of help and support you, relieve you, uh, find other ways for you to to be involved, or, or to kind of actually just completely enjoy a Sabbath season, right? Uh, or, or if you're kind of just not sure how to get connected or always to get involved, let's have a conversation about that. We'll try our best not to be pushy about that, but we think this is, deserves our priority for this year uh, and uh, for the coming year. If you've got any questions about that or if you're even concerned about the way we're going about that or even presenting these things, I'd love to talk to you. I'm hoping that this all comes from a place of uh, being God's church, of celebrating God's glory in us and through us, And our hope, as we look back to this passage, is that as people look at this place, as people are involved in this place, that they might indeed see uh, how we love one another and that they might glorify God because we have had the privilege 
and the responsibility to serve God, to represent Him as His family in a world that desperately needs Him. Let me pray. Father, You have made us a people. Once we were not a people. And so as we come to You, reminded in all humility of our dependence on You, help us to better understand ourselves. Help us to see the gifts You have given us. Help us to take up the joy of Christ Himself, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross that we might be saved. Father, help us as a family to keep growing, growing in our capacity to serve and love. Help us to grow in our experience of a depth of love. And help us to cover over all kinds of drama and conflict, given that we are saved sinners, that all these things might be done for Your glory. And we pray it in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus. Amen.